I am Andrew Ron. I'm an accredited rural appraiser, and I am president of the Montana chapter of the ASFMRA. I'm Coulter DeVries, owner of Ranch Investor Advisory and Brokerage Services. I'm an accredited land consultant with the Realtor Land Institute and proud member of ASFMRA. The Ranch Investor Podcast is the most downloaded and informative industry-specific content that intrigues while entertains. Trinity Vandenacre back because Andy came in late for this one on time. <laughs> I got the wrong. <laughs> I got the wrong time. I got the wrong message. Late on time. Uh, Andy, it's good to have you back. It's been a while. It has. It's, it is good to be back. Late October. By the time this gets released, it's going to be. Oh, early December into winter, the slowdown for real estate. What has happened? Presumably. Presumably. What has happened since you were last on the podcast and what is going to be happening when this is released? Well, our market has stabilized, I think is the right word for it. Mellowed out, stabilized. I released the land report today, though. uh, Lots of activity and, and all across the board, not just you know, new listings or new sales, but price changes, reconfigurations, properties back on the market, properties going under contract, properties falling out of contract. So the market seems active and healthy, but a little more stabilized from the craziness that we saw in 2021. And that's what I'm hearing from brokers and buyers and sellers that there's still a lot of demand out there, but it's calmed down. Uh, People are slowing down there, you know, none of this, uh, you know, multiple offers, uh, sight unseen backup offers, you know, that mania that we saw a lot of in 2021 and early 2022. Um, so it seems to be stabling out, but the thing that still continues is low volume. We were, we were starting to um, increase that a bit. And I was wondering if we weren't going to see a, a steady uh, ticking up on that, but we're dropping back down again. We're just kind of hovering at about half of pre, pre-2020 levels as far as the inventory out there. Do you mean what's for sale? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So volume is driven by supply. Yeah. And, you know, there are, we have seen an uptick in new listings, but they're getting picked up. They're getting picked off. So, well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I've kind of been waiting and just suspecting that, you know, at some point we're going to catch up and, you know, there's going to be more listings than what sells and we're going to get back to a normal inventory environment. But I'm wondering now if this might not be a new normal inventory environment. What's getting picked off? Because I, I see there are still listings that I thought would have moved mm-hmm. that are, I don't know, a reasonable price relative to relative to November of 2021. Yeah. Uh, but they're still out there. Um, I know that in that 2020 and 2021 market, a home was highly desirable. That paid yeah. to have a luxury house to have some improvements that never used to pay. Yeah. Um, what's in vogue right now? What's, well, you know, what's you, selling? you messaged me yesterday about the uh, auction in Eastern Montana. Uh, the auctioner reported it was hot. It was hot. Hot so as hell. Elk is so, selling. yeah, that property does have elk. So, yeah. But it's also a produ- production property. But yeah, he said it was kind of a 50 50 as, as far as buyer motivation between production and hunting. Um, yeah, it's an interesting point you raised when you said it seems like the things you think should sell aren't. And that's a common scenario in the Montana land market, I think. And, and maybe even as we head into st- some stability, and I guess kind of what comes to my mind is, you know, sometimes there's only a right buyer or two for any given property. And if that person's in the market, you're in good shape. But otherwise, um, you know, you might, you might be waiting. And I think that's the frustration of, of sellers. You know, they hear that demand's high and all that kind of stuff and they put their place out on the market and maybe they even have some price reductions or whatnot. And, you know, the buyer just isn't there. So, I, you know, um, a lot of the buyers, brokers report that they have buyers who aren't able to find what they want. And I'm not quite sure if that means that they're looking for Uber trophy type properties. I'm sure that's true to some extent, you know, some of these buyers want the best of the best. And if it's not available, they're not going to take down an alternative. But I think there's also, you know, it's again, it's situational, you know, some people want to be within an hour of some given town or want some, some combination of amenities, right? Some people care more about fishing. Some people care about more about hunting. Some people care more about trees. And if the right mix isn't happen to be in the market, then 
Well, I think one thing that can be said for today's market, October 2022, and by the time this gets released in December of 2022, much to uh, the chagrin of the local yokels like our guest Trinity Vandenberg here, <laughs> Uh, we still see listings come on the market that are absurdly priced. Well, they, they missed the boat. It is not even in in the bay. You can't even see it. The boat left the bay, and they are pricing shit for October of 2021, the peak. Well, here's what I I can tell you on that: the median list price per acre of all the properties that are on the market today are up 30 percent from this day a year ago and they're up 30% again from two years ago. So our asking price has steadily been going up 30% a year for the last two years. And actual median sale price is slightly down from last oh, really? year. Yeah, well, and that's, I don't think that's necessarily means that uh, values are going down. I think a lot of high value properties were picked up off the market in 2022. So you gotta be careful to read too much into that. But nonetheless, uh, you know, it's not like the sales data is uh growing you know the values are showing growth so there you do wonder and we we hit this big time in about 2005 2006 right before the crash in south southwest montana you should see a chart of the ask prices they were just you know skyrocketing and uh and there was the 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 gap between um percent of what property sold for what versus what was asked got pretty huge and it started to slow down the market even before the crash so we're going to experience the same thing i think moving forward and then people are going to have to get back to earth on their asking prices but as coulter well knows we talk about this often there's just almost an epidemic in montana of sellers and their expectation on values and what they can ask the the message seems to be shoot for the moon yeah and uh well, you know, one, one thing, it, as knowing a lots of ranchers and farmers and everything and hearing what they're saying it is a lot of, uh, you know, they're, they're watching this. It, they're always about a wait and see, you know, to them, to ranchers and farmers, they don't even make money until two years after they start. Right. You know, you're, you're making, you're raising a calf for a whole year and then you're getting paid for it. So they're used to this, this long, they're always the long minded thing. And with our new technologically minded world everything goes way faster so they've seen the price uh, of this land go up and they're like mate you know it's probably time to sell but they've they've already waited the year and a half till now it's gone <laughs> gone down right, right but i was going to ask you what what do you find is your is your seller i mean are the sellers like generational ranchers or are they people who have already moved here and are reselling the land it's both. Um, a lot of the new owner set, a certain percentage of them uh, lock into a five to seven year cycle. That property is going to re-hit the market. You know? Really? Yeah. You know, they come and they and they'll and they'll tell you we're here forever. Right. Um, right. And you I know, hear that geez, a lot. you know, some of them will spend millions of dollars on on uh, improvement. You know, re, you know that kind of thing, and then something shifts they get bored and so we do see that it seems like sometimes properties hit the market and they're on they're on that cycle uh but there there certainly are uh multi-generational farms and ranches too and it usually you know it's usually a fi family dynamic right like the kids kids aren't coming home you mm -hmm. know that kind of stuff mm -hmm. uh aging out and it's just also interesting i mean you know these values are just outstanding uh, uh you know kind of unbelievable and they're there's a kind of a pressure that mounts, you know, you're just, you're just sitting on this asset. Right. And maybe you're not making, maybe you're barely making money. Maybe you're not making money. You're certainly working your ass off. Oh, absolutely. Um, just to break even. Yeah. And you know, you're getting older, uh, your kids not, you know, your kids not only aren't coming home to take it over, but they're sort of looking at you like you're some kind of idiot <laughs> working that hard. I mean, there's all these things. So when the land values increase, it just creates this pressure. And even, gosh, I feel like I've even talked to people who they, they don't even really want to necessarily sell or, you know, whatever. They actually like their life and their lifestyle. But, you know, again, that, that economic pressure, it's like, for God's sakes, you know, I, could, I can sell this thing for $10 million. Right. Uh, and, you know, especially if they've been on the land for a long time, maybe they thought, it, it might not ever be worth a million dollars, you know, when they started 20, 30 years ago and now it's 10 or so it just creates an interesting pressure. 
Or they never even thought about the value of it. Right. You know, at all. Right. But I, I, I can see, I mean, the, the, one of the reasons I ask is I see a lot of family ranch dynamics. And, you know, as you all know, families are always tough anyway. It doesn't matter if you have a ranch involved or not, but you, you tie land to it and it's very difficult. But um, lots of the next generation are watching their parents, you know, work their tails off their parents and grandparents and not seeing a whole lot of like what they see the rest of the world doing, you know, or no vacation, no nothing. And they're like, there is a lot of things you can do that make way more money for less work than this. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's becoming harder to get those kids to stay there because they can now go on their phone and see how other people live. Yeah, totally. Well, and the other thing too, I think there are the some- Instagram effect. The Instagram effect. And there are some operators that, and you know, a lot of people when they sell, especially because of 1031 exchange where they can defer capital gains, it's really advantageous to roll into another property. And a lot of operators and whatnot, you know, see, uh, opportunities for improvement and as their you know their land value increase like well geez i could sell this and get something better or get a better configuration but the problem is you know their land is at an all-time premium as far as what they could sell for but now they're in this inventory start environment to try to replace and we've seen a lot of properties go I under suppose. contract but the seller can you know continue <clears throat> on the sale as the seller finding replacement property and there's mm. some properties that you know were that have been on the market been pending for a year and finally the seller you know they they cannot find replacement property so they they pull out wow and if that is you out there listening mr rancher john smith <laughs> you'd like to sell your 10 million dollar place can't find the replacement property call me Look, <laughs> I got a 1031 Delaware statutory trust. That's that's a solution, and those aren't a silver bullet because people have lost money on DSTs before. But I think with enough financial help, diversification, you can get into a DST that's going to be secured and sheltered for for the short term. I just I think it's a really interesting conversation and dynamic i mean land has always been considered valuable obviously you know you're you're lucky considered lucky right if you if you own a big place or inherit a big place but the cost of ownership and just the opportunity cost for what montana land values have become is i just think creates an interesting interesting dynamic it's just hard to hold on to something that it's, it's like hot in your hands or something right it's just it burns it's like, well it, it's it's it, they a lot of them have a tie to the land, so it, it makes it really hard for them to sell it. It's like a, um, especially if it's been in your family for a while. It's sentimental. Like, yeah, it's so sentimental. It's it's almost like you're, I mean, ripping something out of somebody's cold dead hands. But you're you're also realizing that you're you know every year you have to take out a credit loan to operate, yeah. and you're you're coming back to zero. And then you're taking out another credit loan and coming back to almost zero. And then, you're, I mean, it's, it, it is such a stress-filled lifestyle to just do traditional ranching. There's, there's ways that new ranchers are, are, are trying to make a living on land that, that maybe help that a little bit. They still have to work their butts off. But, you know, uh, that traditional ranching, you look at that $10 million price tag and you're like, hmm. Well, and I think that's part, <laughs> I think that's, part of why we have trouble with pricing in montana because it's like they're selling their kid oh absolutely so they're it's their baby so you know that they they shoot for the moon on that and if you tell them if you tell them otherwise you're basically telling them that their kid is ugly and unintelligent that's right (laughs) you're insulting their children yes exactly yeah so it's it's interesting Nobody's going to want that ugly little thing. <laughs> Should have thrown it out with the bathwater. Well, I'll tell you, I get calls every week uh, from sellers and agents who are representing sellers who want to talk to me about why their property isn't moving. And they want to talk about everything except price. They want to, what do they want to talk about? What is like like the, the way the yeah, land works? The doing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> right, right. right. Exactly. It's like how? Why are you not selling this yeah, thing? They, huh? Yeah, yeah. They, they want me to confirm that their property is not sold because their broker hasn't taken out a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal. Yes. Right. So they're they're. 
not marketing or whatnot. There's got to there's got to be some other reason beside price because they know they know their place is worth X, but yet they're getting no showings, no mm-hmm. callings. There must be something else going on. Well, Trinity uh, in Townsend, Montana, pretty area. Yeah, diversified. A lot of different farming going on there, ranching, big landowners, old legacy generational landowners productive area high high production by montana standards Absolutely. so it's like a dual area in that regard so we have the 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 bottom land very high production went right along the river and then if you right up on the side from there to the top of the mountain is desert and cactus are you so, saying raidersville is not raidersburg raidersburg that is, is not, not a high producing <laughs> unless you're farming rocks yeah you've got right. lots of rocks <laughs> i hear modlow's nice or no yeah. uh, what, what's yeah. the uh What's the little area that is where nice. it was overdeveloped? All those in that area between Three Forks and Townsend, where there was all those oh, rural subdivisions. That's like Ponderosa white, Pines. That's like White Trash oh, Central. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Logan, uh, Logan, um, where the where the talk plant is, um, and Ponderosa Pines was the ranch oh, that okay. chopped up into tens We're and twenties. Yeah, yes. yeah, like like no covenant. Yeah, you know, twenties out in the middle of that cactus <clears throat> desert you mm-hmm. were talking about. Yeah, that ranch was chopped up. I want to say like in the sixties, fifties or sixties. Uh, oh, it's funny talking about generational. I, I believe the story was it was a you know woman that inherited the ranch, and she just chopped the sucker up. And actually, this is pre-internet deal. I think a lot of them sold to servicemen serving overseas like she was able to somehow target and market and you know it was like just hundreds mm-hmm. of dollars or something or thousands maybe for a, for a lot and wow. sold off all these deals and uh you go out there and there's there's mansions and there's shacks you know yeah, all mixed together yeah. nobody nobody worried about what they were doing yeah, you know yeah. it's funny funny about that because my my grandfather um he was in the service. He was down in Nevada or Arizona where they were testing the A-bombs. And he was in the trenches. Mm. And and <clears throat> he said there was a guy that always came around. And there was this old little sh- shanty town. It was just a fall down in the desert looking place. And he was always trying to sell them ground. Well, yeah, maybe she was plugged into that. <laughs> yeah. For like $15 an acre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It you was... know where that is now? That's That's the Las Vegas Strip. Oh, wow. Well, 15 so. bucks an acre. And he's like, why would we want this junk? I mean, this is, there's nothing here. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of those around Montana, just out in the middle of nowhere where somebody chopped up a ranch and they, they tend to attract real characters, you know, that, oh, want, yeah. that want no one or, or, you know, want to be total able, seclusion and yeah. Independence yeah. from everybody. Kind of a rough, rough yeah. neighborhood, rough crowd. What else is new in that area, Trinity? How are how are the neighbors responding to your YouTube success? Well, it depends on if you're a cowboy or not. Well, what so, is a cowboy? Tell I mean, me. Yeah, I, I, I bet all the trolls have told you what a cowboy is. Oh, I, I'm not one, yeah. apparently. So, uh, not so. What I I have said a few times that I'm not a cowboy. Well, the definition of a woman and a man is changing. So tell me what the <laughs> definition of a of a cowboy. Is. Cowboy Do you thing is loose as, as well. <laughs> cowboy thing is loose. Now, I, lots of ranchers are very actually very supportive of what I'm doing. They they don't necessarily want me to get too close, you know, about what I'm. But some of them do. Some a lot of them are allowing me to show what they're doing and help them out. And they haven't shown you their balance sheet yet. No. <laughs> Open no. up the books. Have you asked no. on, on camera how many cows they have? Yeah, that is not. <laughs> you got to be careful doing that. Or how many acres do you own? Yeah, how many acres do you actually own? You don't want to do that either. How many cows are you running on this place? <laughs> right. <laughs> how many acres do you own and how many does the bank own? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably be zero in a bunch, right? That would be at the this gate point. is over there. Yeah. You may, you may <laughs> Leave, exactly. Mr. Vandenacre. Yeah, you got to be careful with those. <laughs> I think Townsend's really interesting because you have Bozeman blowing up, right? Or it was. I mean, as far as meaning it's expanding greatly. And the cost of living there has gone up so much that people are moving that used. So everybody's moving into Bozeman. The people that used to live in Bozeman are moving out of Bozeman. And they're moving to, to Townsend, Three Forks and Townsend, because that's in a different county. So it's taxed completely different. Townsend has the lake, and it's right in between Helena and Bozeman. So it's it's. I don't think it's going to look the same in 
several years if my, we had anything to buy my memory i used to work over there quite a bit that broadwater county was pretty wild west as far as yeah planning and regs they were they were happy happy to have you come and do whatever you want to do yeah and they're, sharp they're, contrast to gallatin and madison totally different and even and jefferson luckily we have good contractors there that take it upon themselves to make sure that things are built right and they don't want these neighborhoods that are all you know that because nobody will buy a big house in the neighborhood that's right next to 18 i can't condone any regulation yeah <laughs> so so we've kind of taken on ourselves to do that same thing you know to just kind of oh self-regulate that, that's that's <laughs> exactly. much more preferred alternative <laughs> yeah um right. what a what I have noticed is it seems like you are responding well with the mentality of don't get mad, get money. Montana's changing. Uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Mm -hmm. And a fellow broker, Chance Bernal, who sold the, the greatest, biggest, best ranch in Montana, the Koch brothers, he sold it to Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, the owner of Fox. Chance Bernal and I were on a showing once with an individual from Townsend, and this guy was dirty pissed about how much Townsend has changed. Yeah. And he spent the entire showing telling us how much he hates outsiders and the change. And he didn't have one comment about the ranch we were looking at. <laughs> Knowing that the ranch he was trying to sell in Townsend had gone up in value so that he could afford the one we were looking at in Lima. Mm -hmm. Everybody's frustrated about this kind of change until they're a seller. Yeah, exactly. And suddenly they're... Well, they're even frustrated about it then. It doesn't change the fact that they want to sell it for a bunch of money. They just don't want to... They don't want, people are so against change, especially ranchers. But so here's, here's the problem I have with this, Coulter, is if you're either for free market... And freedom, or you're not. So it, you can't portray that you're for free free market and freedom, and then say that you're the only one that can have it. That's that's Absolutely. a difficult thing to say. But yeah. a lot of ranchers speak that way, even though they may not even realize what they're saying. They they have the opportunity to have the ranch that they're on right now. A lot of times, it's because somebody else did something. They didn't even do it. Somebody came in 1900 and established their ranch and because of that they're able to have it and instead of being grateful and like man that's so awesome that i have this opportunity and i can't stop other people from doing what they're they want to do they have they just become bitter and angry Closed and it's like and, yeah. how why are you that isn't even enjoyable in life at all to be that way you know yeah so after two hours of the showing, I think Chance had enough. And he turned to my client and goes, hey, bud, don't get mad. Get money. Right. <laughs> That's all that needed to be said. Exactly. And so you're building homes, aren't you? Or you have been? You had yeah, built so some I, large custom homes? Yeah, I have a, a company that, that uh, builds. We, we build homes in Townsend. And while those homes are being built right in the middle of a very nice 40-acre irrigated place, <laughs> that's not something you're going to stop. So, no. You can't, you can't influence the market. You can't avoid the market. It's bigger than you. It's more powerful. Exactly. So if someone asks you to build a large custom home in the middle of a 40-acre irrigated place, Trinity Vandenacre is going to have to do that. Or else, or else be poor and take your pride to the bank. Exactly. And that's, that's what I, I, it comes down to, I believe in freedom. I can't stop people from, even though I don't. And, and I think part of what drives me to, to, to educate people about ranching and farming and things like that is I feel people need to know where their food comes from. There's only so much land. If we, if we develop everything, I'm not for developing everything, right? At some point you're going to run out of places to, to grow food. Right. And, I don't believe the way to stop that is by halting everybody from coming to Montana or the government stepping in and regulating and try to, well, what's it? Zone, zone it. Well, or, or supplementing ranchers and farmers, uh, you know, with a bunch of payments so that they keep their land. I don't, I don't see that helping either. That's just a short term 
band-aid on something that usually just creates a problem somewhere else. So if you understand where your food comes from and you think like we're talking about, I, I believe there's going to be a huge change in the ranching and farming industry as we go forward. People figuring out ways to make ranching pay enough to where that land doesn't get developed. But without the education, it won't. It, if you don't want to change, if you're like these guys that we're talking about and you won't change anything about the way you produce beef or or anything, then what happens is, is it just slowly goes downhill until you have to sell it to somebody and then you have no say over it and it becomes a development. And some areas that's going to happen anyway. It doesn't no matter what we do, right? But if, if you understand it, there's some people are going to come in and, and do new innovative things, you know, or somebody that has money that doesn't have to have the huge amount of debt to start with will continue to have it produce food. You know, a lot of these guys that are have the big money, you know, they're buying these big ranches, they're just shutting up this like no cattle at all. So you have a hundred thousand acres of Montana that's producing nothing as far as food supply. At some point, right, that the world or the nation is going to feel that food supply problem. And we're not there yet, but the, that's not the time to deal with it is after you have a food support, <laughs> supply shortage, you know. Yeah. Oh, now what are we going to do with our food, you know? It was on the radar for a brief moment during COVID when Costco, of all places, had empty beef shelves. Yeah. But human memory is very short. Very short. Well, you know what else is interesting is I perceive that a lot of the people coming to Montana – they might be ignorant, they might be naive, but they're, they actually want the culture and the values and the, you know, what this place, I think so too. What this place is. Mm -hmm. So there is an educational opportunity. It's like, well, if you're going to come here, you know, acclimate a bit and, and fit in rather than, and I don't know, you know, it seems like 20 years ago, it certainly was really talked about a lot. You know, the, the classic outsider was someone that came in and built high fences and, didn't want to have anything to do with anybody and cut off access and all this kind of stuff. But I really see a lot of the newcomers, they, they, they want to be quote unquote Montana, mm -hmm. whether they really have a grasp on that or not. Um, but there's an opportunity, you know, unless they're from Texas, then they don't want to be Montana. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Us in Texas, we're kind of the ones that the holdouts of like, well, you want to be independent and stay us. But you know, if you just show, like you were saying, a, a, a terrible attitude towards newcomers, you know, that that's, and, and that's not Montana, you know, mm -hmm. Montana, when I grew up, you know, it was infamous for fam famous, you know, or infamous for being friendly and, and open and all that kind of stuff we've been tested welcoming you know? and inclusive yeah we've been yeah. tested a little bit on that but um it's it's really interesting when people and the other thing too is like you gotta a lot of people are actually coming here for for good reasons or you know at least on paper you know it might have a different effect on the ground but they want to be someplace with freedom and mm -hmm. clean and safe and open and all that kind of stuff well and, I, and then when and we're talking about before, maybe it was before we started, I don't know, about people that that attack what we show, right? Because the pro the thing is, is they hear the one person that comes to Montana and is shutting everything off, and because I know a couple of them, you know, like, uh, well, we do things differently in Arizona, you know, well, then don't come here. I don't, you know, I don't care. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That kind of person that wants to change it into something that we don't want to see, and, and they they forget the five other people that just came with their families because they want to raise their kids in a place that's nice for their kids, you know, and it, it same thing happens on YouTube or social media. We hear the one troll or the one person that's negative comment and forget the 900 that are like, Oh really? You know, wow. How does this work? You know, kind of a thing. So I think we have to keep that in mind too. Yeah. You're going to have some bad ones, but so you've had both positive and negative reactions locally to what you're doing online and whatnot? So I don't believe that you're actually accomplish anything if you don't have negative. I think if you if everything you're doing, you're just getting a positive <laughs> response, you're actually not doing anything. You've surrounded yourself with sycophants. Exactly. And <laughs> you're, you're Vladimir Putin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you don't really actually accomplish anything. Because, I mean, man, if you're... You're not pushing any boundaries or out of comfort zones or reaching anybody if somebody's not mad at you for something, you know. 
I think you have to be the determining factor of what you're doing, whether that's right in your values and how you portray it, because you, you really can't judge it by your response necessarily. Because if you just go on people's response and you just do whatever gets you the most accolades, well, you, you're, I believe that's just as bad as going away from people who are telling you negatives because you'll never end up anywhere. And I think with um, these algorithms definitely drive it and influence how you're marketing, who you're marketing to, and, and what you're marketing. But I think entrepreneurs and businesses realize that today we are not selling to everyone. We are not for everyone. Black Rifle Coffee, Black Rifle Coffee Company mm-hmm. probably is the best at this. They were one of the first to say, we're not Folgers. We're not for everyone. And our marketing is going to reflect that. Right. There's there's a whole group of people out there that we can market to that want to drink something, you know, like Black Rifle Coffee. That, that it's branded. Stands they, for what we yeah, stand for. Yeah, the, the yeah. brand. I believe, exactly. in, I believe in the people making this. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a conversation earlier today about my business, my product, Montana Land Source, to somebody who was unfamiliar. And I was reminded, even as I was telling this person kind of my story, that when I first rolled out five, six, seven years ago, it was it was disruptive technology. And there was some ruffled feathers, you mm-hmm. know, and there, there were people that was unsure. I was putting out a new level of information, you know, on the Internet. Right. Um, and, you know, I think a part of my success, and this probably has to do with growing up here and knowing the culture. Like, I, first of all, I never I never got in anybody's face about it. I never I never pushed back hard. I just kept saying, well, I'm here. This is what I'm doing. You know, and over time, I feel like I've gotten a lot of, you know, one, one over a lot, a lot of people and people see it for an asset and the value it is, but you kind of have to be prepared for that initial reaction and give people time to kind of adjust and, and, you know, accept and, and continue to do good work and show up and saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not here. I'm not here to be disruptive. Like that's not my only goal. I I happen to be disruptive because I've created something new, but Mm -hmm. I actually think it benefits, you know, uh, the world in a lot of ways. Uh, but you kind of have to be patient. You kind of got to kind of hang in there and 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 put up with people getting in your some some of my best clients now are people that got in my face pretty hard uh, initially and even accused me of things and that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to well, think I'm back sure on that. Trinity yeah. has to cost benefit analysis. If you're not pleased with what I'm doing, I might need to consider whether you are a customer I should be pleasing. But maybe you're not the customer I, I need to be pleasing. So please get off your high horse and realize that your your grievances may not be taken into account by me. Mm-hmm. You might not be my customer. So deal with it. Yeah. And it's, you know, I believe in if I'm not, um, I'm not helping, if I'm not helping them understand something, if I'm just doing it. I mean, obviously, I get to have some fun while I'm doing it. If I'm, you know, if I'm riding in the mountains and get to show that, that's not gonna. It's not like, yeah, it's hard work, but it's a lot of fun for me because I don't have to make the money, you know, at that. <laughs> at and that's that part, part of the reason why probably people hate on you is because they see you having fun. Well, and and that's another. I mean, that's another thing. People see ranchers owning land, and and the jealousy comes out, and the mm-hmm. uh, the resentment towards the fact that somebody might own something that I would Human want. Envy. Yes. Hmm. And, and that's partly, partly understand, partly dealing with people who are against you is looking at things from their angle too. It helps me a ton. Somebody trashes whatever I'm showing and tells me I'm an, you know, insignificant human or something. You, you, you look at them like, why would they do that? You know, they're looking, they must be really miserable. Honestly, they must be a really miserable person to have watched my content and then taking the time <laughs> to type in a comment against me, I mean, you must not have anything to do. Really. Right, right. Well, what is it that you're doing? Uh, lots of stuff. Man, I'm, you know, so one thing I'm never is bored. That is for sure. Because I'm, so I'm writing for a bunch of ranchers and showing that on YouTube. I'm trying to edu- educate people on the, on the the aspects of ranching that they're not familiar with, and that one of the other aspects I'm I'm working on right now is building the 
the NFT game Cattle Kings for them to be able to experience a version of that. Maybe they could never experience in real life. People people ask me all the time, how to become a, how do I become a rancher? I'm like, your resources are this, and <laughs> and you're asking about something that takes resources like that, right? Like. You know, ten dollars versus ten million is not gonna. It's not gonna work. You're not gonna start ranching tomorrow. But in a game like Cattle Kings, based on NFTs, you can own and build your own herd of cattle in a way that you can afford and enjoy. You can test the your, You can test your hand at it without having to leverage up five hundred thousand dollars like I did. Exactly, and and then lose it all to the FSA. Exactly. <laughs> Try to dig yourself out of that <laughs> hole until you're gray in the face. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a better way to do it, wouldn't you? <laughs> Maybe in a, in a ultimate success scenario, uh, FSA will contract you out and have their applicants play your game for yeah. a while, prove up, That's prove right. up using the metaverse before uh, embarking on actual. So what I think would be really fun is eventually in this game, the top, People, if they wanted to, you set up a real ranch scenario for a year and have them actually come out and just turn it over to them with with some advisors, of course. I think that would be fantastic. Like, see how much of a wreck would that be? Sounds like the next great reality TV yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking Squid Game. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, people really think they want to become a rancher, but... I don't think they have any idea what that actually entails, you know? Yeah, have them reach inside a cow and pull out a calf. Yeah, here you go. I mean, here's here's a hundred head of cattle and a bunch of fences. One of and- hip. You, got, you got 60 heifers to calve. And they've been bred to a very large bull. (laughs) (laughs) We really helped you out here. Put you you with some really great genetics. These calves are going to be huge. We were talking so much about all the new people coming to Montana. I mean, that's an interesting conversation to have whether or not there might be a secondary wave. And an awful lot of people moved to Montana over the last two years. And a lot of them, you know, was kind of a bit of a hurried and rushed and, and, you know, whatnot type scenario so you wonder uh, especially if we experience some bad winters and some smoky summers and stuff like that whether there won't be a second wave of people of washout you know people that You're just selling out from here yeah, yeah yeah there's been speculation about that if we won't see even i mean just just say for the sake of argument that our otherwise our market stays pretty calm and just you know we've we've been through the land rush and you know the the demand is is much much lower but if there, won't, if there won't be a bump in supply because um, of a washout factor. So question, because so a lot of the people that I talk to anyway that, that are have thought about moving to Montana, the winter is one of their biggest concerns. Is that something that you run into a lot? Yeah, but, you know, the other thing is winters are nothing like they were when I was a kid. Well, they haven't been recently. Jesus, no. old man. You sound like my dad in November, <laughs> yeah. but... When I was Show a kid, me the data to, to prove that <laughs> anecdotal of s- subjective bullshit. <laughs> well, they, they walked uphill both ways to school yeah, right, uh, right, you know, right. in bare feet. Well, yeah. you know, the other thing, too, I mean, yeah, the joke about the weather and stuff. But the other thing, too, that's changed in Montana, you know, just economically and opportunity, especially rural Montana. I mean, you had to you had to be a lot more hardy. There was a lot less resources or a lot less services. There were, I mean, I remember, you know, I had family in Lewistown and they had shared phone lines in town. Yeah. Like you'd pick up the phone, you know, I don't even remember exactly how it worked, but just stuff like that. Right. But ne- you know, now though you can live, you can buy 20 acres, you know, especially, you know, especially if you're selling a house in California or mm-hmm. something, you can come up to Montana, 20 acres, you got utilities, you got services, you got Starlink. internet. You got you well. Can, you got vehicles that you can access. You know, you can run forty miles in, in comfort and still have your teeth in, yeah. your, in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, before back in the seventies, even the vehicles that we had weren't. Yeah, you didn't just jump in them and run down the road. They didn't right. do well on snow. They didn't do right. Right, they just weren't like the stuff we have now. But so I do think it will be interesting. I mean, weather's part of it. And, you know, it's not just, I mean, Montana was always famous. The harsh season was winter, but now summers. I mean, you know, we had 100 degrees in June, summer before last, and the fires and the air quality. And 
all that floods the you know yeah. if you well, floods over by Gardner and stuff yeah, yeah. is yeah. this i mean if you quit pontificating about what's going to happen with the market andy and start giving me coefficient <laughs> <laughs> the uh, correlations and the coefficient numbers about how how the market is driven by interest rates uh price of gold the money, equities money market, supply money m2 money supply and now weather i would like to see that uh that i'm, work, I'm working on a model Actually, the met, the metaverse. This is the place. Yeah, exactly. I need to I need to create a metaverse model, mm-hmm. and uh, as soon as it lines up to reality, I'm I'm cooking with you gas. You can normalize all of those. Yeah, you can you can get a you can get a regression analysis going. Mm-hmm. I believe in you. You can make it happen. You have the <laughs> I, data. I, I appreciate the encouragement. But yeah. <laughs> if if uh, winter and weather is a big driver, and if I'm a Montana landowner, I'm rooting for global warming. That's going to increase my property values. Yeah. Yeah. Yes and no, except. And I, I remember, you know, being frustrated back at MSU 20 years ago when the, the ag guys, the models at the time were saying that there was going to be more CO2, well, of course, more CO2 and warmer. So they were saying this is going to be a boon for Montana. But the problem is a lot of more variance, some more hail and more wind and more fluctuations in temperature so i think i think that idea it's going to be warmer or you know is a little bit of a misnomer because it's going to be more irregular which is really hard on producers generally i am really not sure there can be more wind (laughs) (laughs) i lost you you know you go to livingston and great falls and conrad area and i mean those places are windy yeah i'm not sure if we're gonna get you know you hear about climate refugees at certain certain parts of the globe are gonna you know depopulate and others are gonna i guess i guess montana is might be a place they go to for that yeah until we get a hard one because i'm not convinced that they're going to go away from completely right right eventually we're going to get another one of those seven feet of snow blowing all over the place winters that well it was personal entertainment i lived in bozeman for 17 years and you know a lot of people move to bozeman they're hardcore skiers and all oh yeah not to mention they can travel so they go to the they go to the tropics a couple times in the winter anyway but what got really fun was if spring was just a little late i mean not even really dramatically late but people start to lose their mind in bozeman when it's april and it's still wintry oh i know and like last year it was like june i mean it got hot late but yeah we had a late spring there this last year but really people just start to get really and it's funny because it's not even that it's not even that it's really dramatic weather no but it's just it's just summer's not coming basically And they're, they just, are and it's so funny because they moved there. They've been there 20 years, you know, and it's like, you know, what, where do you think you yeah. are? I know I, we, so two, two years ago, we got snowed into our house for like three days mm. and, and, uh, it was the best time we had in a long time. It was 30 <laughs> below. We went sledding on the road. <laughs> His wife got pregnant four times. <laughs> no, we had too many kids in the house. Uh, people laugh because I because they you know you go down to Alabama or something and they get like a skiff of snow and the whole town shuts down. Everybody right. buys all the bread and milk and the whole thing, you know. And here it's like, well, is the school closed? No. If you can get there, they're going to be open. <laughs> the parents don't want it closed. Like, you get the road grader out go here right now. <laughs> I will go drive the plows, get these kids yes. out of my house. <laughs> That's right. Well, Trinity, um, tell us a little more about what you have going on here, how people can follow you and what to look into, what's made you a YouTube celebrity. As we wrap it up, I'd like to see... Uh, some people comment on this and and let us know what they think about your YouTube channel. Only good things, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, where can they find you and and uh, what are you looking forward to most? Well, so you can find me anywhere on uh, Instagram, um, YouTube, uh, Facebook, TikTok. I make content for all of those mm-hmm. um, as much as I possibly can, and you know I do it. Um, as an education process, so I, I show what's going on, try to make it entertaining, show what's going on, and then also tell you why we're doing it. I think that's a missing component in a lot of ranching uh, content. But uh, I'm really excited about um, the opportunities this has given me to go 
show some really interesting things. You know, I'm hoping to, uh, I'm hoping to go ride with Buffalo. That would be to go chase some Buffalo on my horse is scared. The horse I'm riding right now is afraid of cattle when they turn towards him. So that'll be perfect for Buffalo. You know, I assume. <laughs> and then uh, there's know, the squid games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, why are you such a chicken? <laughs> Quarter horse. Anyway. Um, and, and the cow Kings game, you know, it's as we get it developed and I think it's going to be really exciting to, to watch people be able to try to manage a herd. Like they see you know, ranchers doing, it's going to help. Not only I think it's going to be a fun thing, but also to help people understand the economics of ranching themselves, how how difficult it is, but uh, also in a in a fun way. So, so I'm curious, Trinity, do mm-hmm. you do you put kind of the same content on all those platforms, or do you put different content on different platforms? How do you look at that? So I put the same content sometimes on the same on different platforms, but they're all quite a bit different audience. So you're plugged into that. You you have some understanding yeah. of what your different audiences is. So depending on the content, you'll yeah, put it yeah. different places. I'll put a little bit different and then shorten it up or lengthen it because you know, mm-hmm. I do a longer one on YouTube and then I shorten that one up a little bit for Facebook. Hmm. Um, you post edit and then yeah. So I'll I'll edit a full video for YouTube because I I like edited. I try to edit out a lot so I can get just content that actually makes sense in a storyline. And then uh, a lot of the short ones are just talking about the differences and what's going on and what's happening in Montana and how cattle work, Hmm. freeze branding, things like that. Andy, looks like we have two more (coughs) Fed interest rate hikes, 75 basis Mm -hmm. points ahead of us to slow down this inflation. Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be seeing operating lines of credit well above nine percent before year end uh 30 year loans probably eight nine percent here pretty soon what's that going to do to the montana land market well first of all i feel like i should do a plug for the montana farm and ranch brokers association on our december meeting the first uh, uh thursday in december i don't know that date uh, we're gonna have a lender panel of uh local montana lenders so that will be one place to get that answered. And that meeting is in person here in Billings, but it's also on uh, Zoom. So if you just Google Montana Farm and Ranch Brokers Association, you can uh, check at that meeting. But yeah, it's interesting because- That'll be open to the public? Yep, open to the public, correct. Uh, it's interesting because by far, uh, I think most transactions in the Montana land market are cash, but nonetheless, interest rates do have an effect for, for one thing a fair amount of people we see actually buy land and then uh either leverage that leverage against that purchase or whatnot or you know pursue operating lines of credit that kind of stuff so it's yeah. even though purchases often so far are outside the finance world the finance world has a big effect on on the market and most people that buy land in montana you know have assets and and are involved in financing in other places perhaps if nothing you know not because they necessarily need to but mm-hmm. taking advantage of rates which historically have been so low mm-hmm. now they're not um and it just tends to seize things up i think uh, even though it might not affect purchases directly they weren't going to use financing to make that purchase the overall chill on the economy and the environment, I think, slows slows down the per. So it, it, there's a lot of fascinating things about that the Montana land market. Like you, you, the initial reaction would be not much effect. We, we buyers buy in cash. Why would why would interest rates have an effect? But they do. How about volatility and uh, the fear of an ec- uh, economic recession coming up? So consumer confidence, producer confidence index at an all-time low. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we tend to see it during election cycles, It's which has always been kind of interesting to me. I I just have a hard time imagining making decisions based on a prospective new president. But we see that effect, you know, election years. It, and it's just it's just a cool, a cooling, a chilling, chilling effect, you know. And a lot of times it's temporary. You know, I mean, even, you know, even when Biden was elected, there are some, you know, that if they're if they're Republican, conservative inclined and think think that's a real bad scenario kind of deal. And they'll say they're they're pulling they're pulling their assets or they're freezing up and a month or two goes by. They they relax and realize they want to get back to life and actually do want to buy a place in Montana or whatever. But so consumer confidence and absolutely. Um, 
uncertainty having a big effect right now? Um, I don't know. You know, I, it's interesting. Again, talking to it's every buyer, every broker. I think I talk to claims they have buyers in their in their back park. They but, are in sales. Yep, and that and that <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> remember that. Huh? <laughs> but even in and but and even good buyers. I mean, solid, good, strong. You know, but they're they're looking for something that they are not able to find. Seems to be the typical scenario. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it's not like there have been times in the past. I mean, COVID when it first reared up. I mean, that shut everything down you know, tight and just fear and uncertainty. And as you know, I was starting, I was, you know, of course I'm always putting out some content about the market and I was talking about this effect and I had brokers calling me up, screaming at me that I was, their kids were going to starve because I was talking about, (laughs) talking about the impact on the market. (laughs) You directly are hurting my business. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You, because you're talking about it. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't see a lot of insecurity out there. Not like other times, but there's there's a lot to be uncertain about. I mean, the, I guess the inflation uh, and interest rate issue, you know, where that's going to land, uh, yeah. no one knows. Yeah, no. so I'm sure that's causing some people to. <clears throat> but it's it's double edged in the in the land market though, because sometimes times of uncertainty actually push people to tangible assets, right? Land and gold and mm-hmm. stuff like those. Those things tend to go up to some extent during uncertainty too. So we kind of have a double two sides to that thing in, in the land market. And I still get the sense that there are people, if they can find the place they want and all that stuff that there, I think people tend to, unless they're, you know, investors or flippers or something, you know, uh, a Montana land purchase feels like a solid safe, you know, it's almost kind of like burying money, right? It's putting money into the, into the land. Under your mattress. Right. Right. Well, Trinity, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Andy, good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Click subscribe on your streaming platform so you know when the latest episode has dropped. Be the source of knowledge and the maven that other professionals are excited to refer.